Okay, we'll start with a nice word of Bashmash Putin, as usual, and then we're going to do a little interesting share this week, uh, different than usual. So we'll start with a word from the Orpana Moshe, Bashmash Putin. Lasata Mishpat of Yenchub Rivoy, right, Midvashaka Tirchak. So Pushpat Lasata Mishpat of Yenchub Rivoy, that you shouldn't uh, make the wrong Mishpat, obviously. He says something interesting, he brings that the, the Zayra Kudush. Brings Everyone has every day he wants to be good. Everybody wants to be good. And every day we're Maspal Ahavarabba and we ask Hashem, we're a 90% of Seichu, Seichu, help me learn, help me daven. I want to do the right thing. He says, How could it be? He says that the Rishum, they don't realize what they're saying. People who don't do the right thing, they don't realize that they're making they're making a fool out of themselves. They ask Hashem to be Dovik in Torah Mitzvahs. And right after they leave the shield, that's it. They fin- they finished. They say bye, Hashem. I'll see you tomorrow. Didn't you just ask me to, you know, that you want to be close to me? Was mama shape hypocritical? And they say the story about the Chofetz Chaim that he saw somebody crying. See, right after davening, he ran over him. He says, "I saw in Shemayim that they answered your tefillah. You're going to have a uras and naim and toyer. Here's a gemurah. Sit down and learn. You know that. But that's what happens. Sometimes people they ask the tefillah and they 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 think they want to do it and they don't realize that the mama is contradicting themselves with what they do." He says, "Le satam ishpat avyon." He says, "The avyon goes on the etzatoyv." Pusik and Kailas, Yelid Miskin, the the avyon is the Raman, this is the etzatoyv. He's the one that's unfortunately the avyon. He says, "Le satam ishpat avyon chuberivoy." You shouldn't be you shouldn't be pushing him away. You shouldn't be pushing him away. Why? Because mitvashaket tirchak. If you don't listen to him and you don't and you don't make sure that he wins the etzatoyv, then you're saying a ligand because you just said to Hashem that you want to you want to do the right thing, and now you're pushing him away. So, in order that you should be makayim mitvashaketirchak, you have to make sure that you do what you said you're going to do. So that's how he says that that's a way a person should be misgaber on his yetzahara by knowing that listen, I can't contradict myself. I said I'll do it. So you have to put your you know you have to you have to put your money where your mouth is. Okay. So that's definitely um, a very good lesson when it comes to to avoid Hashem to make sure that you're not being a hypocrite and you're not saying one thing and doing something else. Now. As I always try to transition over to some kind of relationship um, um, lesson that we can learn from this, let's, let's realize, when it comes to Hashem, okay, let's just make it a little easier. I mean, the Arpana Moshe is saying what he's saying, and uh, who am I to even add a word? But at the end of the day, Hashem knows that it's possible, it's possible, that when you were saying the tefillah and telling Hashem, I want to learn, I want to daven, it could be you meant it sincerely. And it could even be that you were fooling yourself and thinking that right after davening today, I want to do the right thing all day. And then, unfortunately, after davening, the call came in, and you got distracted, and somebody came over to you, and the day just started, and it goes by, and you find yourself the next day in shul all over again, wanting to be good. Okay? Now, interestingly, Hashem doesn't... Hashem, is not, Hashem doesn't take away from you that sincerity that you asked Him, at least, to help, or, or you know, the, the fact that you wanted to help. There are very many ways that Hashem could... He could still take seriously your sincere kavuna, even if it didn't happen. When it comes to someone else, it comes to your spouse, it comes to other people, you can't expect the same treatment. Okay, over there, you could expect them to be doing what Hashem is telling you to do and say, don't be a hypocrite. You say you're going to do something. I told you something's bothering me. I told you I want you to be home earlier or put your phone down more or be this or do that for me or whatever it is. And you said, yeah, 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 and, and nothing. Now, it could be you also were sincere when you said it. And sometimes you can expect someone to understand that, you know, I thought I would, I'm going to try, I'm trying. But if you're not doing it, then unfortunately, you could expect someone to think at least that, it, you know, this is over here. I'm not talking about the idea that you're saying a lie and the person can't handle it, you know, so truthful, as much as you said you're gone, and now you're pushing me away, I can't handle that. How do you expect me to, 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 to trust you or feel good about it now? He's very touchy over here, because I don't, mean to, to, I don't mean to validate the person who's now screaming at the spouse and saying, well, you said you would and you didn't, and that's why you're a bad person. You know, people are people. 
and people do these things, and people want to be good, and, people, and, and you should, yes, you should also take into consideration the fact that, um, you know, maybe he really wants to, and it's hard for him. So I'm not, I'm not justifying the person who's now abusing someone else, because they said they would do something that they couldn't. But I do mean to say that if, if you want to do something, and you say you're going to do something, you should try. You should try. It's very important that you try. And you have to, you have to be consistent. Okay? Now, let, let me just add one more point, which is mainly, you know, I'm saying this because recently I was, I was dealing with a situation where somebody, you have a couple, and one spouse told the other, um, right, that I'm going to, uh, let's call it the wife told the husband that I'm going to make certain changes. Okay? And some time goes by, and the husband didn't notice the changes. You know, where's the changes? And after a few days, or after a week, or whatever it is, like, hello, don't you remember I told you I want to see changes? I'm not happy. And the wife blew her top. What do you mean you don't see the changes I made? And she started pointing out the changes. And you know, he was quite shocked. He said, you're right, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. When I came into the house, said that you weren't on the phone. Like, I didn't have, I thought it was just one, so I didn't realize that part. And when I came home, uh, one room was cleaned up. Taka wasn't the whole house, but it, you know, now, now I think back. Taka, in, in the past, everything was a mess, and now it wasn't all... And the more it was pointed out, the more he realized that, you know, she really did make changes. And what I learned from this interaction that I was hearing, um, and obviously I changed a few details here and there, but what I learned from that is a few things. First of all, when somebody is making changes, try to pick up on them. Somebody said they're going to be good. Well, let's start in the beginning. When you say you're going to try to be good, try to be good. And that's what this, this, guy, this wife was doing. Now, when somebody says they're going to try to be good, try to pick up on it. Try to pick up on it. Try to notice it. And even if it's not yet, I, I, I always say this, this point, that even if it's not yet what you really wanted, still pick up on it, still notice it. M- maybe. M- maybe something's really happening. And maybe the more you notice, and the more you, you acknowledge it, and the more you appreciate it, the more you, you'll, you'll, you'll promote it. Okay? And what I also learned was that you know, this woman was very well-meaning, and she was trying to do the right thing and, and move in the right direction, but if you make baby steps, which is fine, I don't mean to say that you have to go at a fast pace, you could also um, maybe, maybe um, expect that your husband might not pick up on it. Okay? He might not pick up on it. So if you're making baby steps and he's not noticing it, don't be angry at him. Don't be angry at him. It's, it's understandable. He may not have noticed. There weren't drastic changes. It's not what he wanted. You know, he's still coming home to a mess. You know, he did peek into the playroom and notice that it's better. So, you know, that, knowing that you might go to sleep a little early or whatever it is. But then again, why didn't you tell him? Very often we like wait for someone else to notice, wait for a good word. If he's not noticing, tell it to him. Not in a nasty way, like, oh, you know, I, I, cleaned, I cleaned up, I didn't get the good word for it. No, but say it. So I learned a lot from that interaction, and that is that when you say you're going to make changes, or you say you're going to do something, try to do it. And it's okay if it takes a little time. And if you see someone doing something good, acknowledge it and notice it. And if somebody's not noticing the good you're doing, point it out in a nice way. And, and don't use it against anyone. Say, I feel so good that I could do it for you. It, it means I'm, I'm trying, and, and if I get encouragement, I'll be able to do it even more. And that's the healthy way where people are able to acknowledge each other's progress and bring the best out of each other. Okay. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to try to do, it's a little long, but I, I, over time I get, I get from a lot of emails, and I keep on, you know, I have this long list of questions people send in, and everything goes to the bottom of the list, and after a few months, or whenever it is, after a bunch of weeks, I get to whatever questions we're up to. But some of the questions I noticed were really feedback questions. In other words, I, I heard a share of yours, and you said this and this, and I still have a question. Or I read an essay, one of my weekly papers, for those of you who don't know, you can sign up to my to my weekly lessons, to my weekly um, um, newsletter, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, and, and you know, I, I read that and I have a question about it, and I saw that quite a few of them were feedback. So being that that's the case, I'm going to try to address uh, one, two, three, four, five, six feedback questions. 
So it's all about previous topics, and I don't think I would designate a whole new shear just to uh, you know, um, um, clarify certain points somebody asked me, but I think it's important to give the feedback and, and instead of just waiting until the end of the list and I can get back to a new question, which is really something we spoke about. Now, I, I also want to give people the opportunity to express themselves, and again, I'm not going to start reading long emails you know, in the time, but if somebody's expressing something about something I said and they don't like it, even if I'm going to have an answer to the question, I don't mind reading it out loud and you know, using that as a platform to you know, just share ideas. So let's, I don't know how often I'll do this, but let's for now try to address a shit like this. Okay, so let me start with question number one. Hi, very late last night I listened to most of your lecture on spouse alienation from parents. Okay, a while back we spoke about you know, somebody who, who was alienated from parents, married child with parents. I'd love some chizik slash explanation, as I have a crazy sibling who's nice to 96% of the world who aren't her immediate relatives, and officially cut her parents out, unless they get help, as she thinks they need help, and no, she doesn't allow a third party to get involved, so I'm wondering how that, what that shows about her. Okay, supposedly there's some rub involved, or endorsing this, and of course he's very from, and has a bunch of kids, and looks like a regular person to those who don't... Sorry. There's a rub involved and endorsing this. Okay, of course she is very from and has a bunch of kids and looks like a regular person to those who don't know her. Her kids are emotionally abused. Her husband, her husband is a victim as well. A shmata of a guy, although not a bad person at all. So in a nutshell, I'm wondering what happens to these families, their kids, etc. If I wrote too much or I'm asking too much, I apologize. Good night. Okay. No, you're not asking too much. Basically, um, you're asking about somebody who, at least from the description I'm getting here, I don't know anything more than I'm saying. Um, some... Woman cut her parents out of the picture. She thinks that her parents are crazy and they need help and she's not willing to get normal help and, uh, and she's abusing the people around her. Okay. So, yeah, I, I will mention that it's very sad to see people throw away um, their own lives and never see their part in it. And I see this all the time. You know, people will complain about everyone around them, everyone's abusing them, nobody's nice to them, and they, and they have good explanations and very charismatic way of, of explaining the victimhood. And when you hear it, you're like, whoa, you get full of pity unless you understand what these things are really about. And, you know, it's very hard for people to see their own problem, especially such people. I don't want to give it any names, what these conditions are like, why people get like this. But for people that are like this, they sometimes mamish can't see the truth. They can have, all, none of their siblings understand them, the parents forget about, uh, the community is no good, and things like that. And you see people that fall into that loch, and it's not uncommon. You see people that have tininess and minus on everyone. And they'll never stop and think, you know, could it really be everyone's crazy? I was talking to someone who comes from a certain um, Hamish city, uh, not too far from here, and they were adamant that everyone in that city is crazy. I said, Yo, you're kidding, right? No, I'm telling you. I'm living there for so, so and so much years. I, I'm telling you, I came to the conclusion there must be I, there's something wrong with everybody there. Now, even as a joke to say such a thing, it means there's something wrong with you. Uh, if anyone's hearing this and they think like that about I'm telling you, there must be something wrong with you. Or if all your siblings and your parents, everyone you know is no good, there's something wrong. Now, even if you only have a shred hearts on 15 people there might be something wrong with you but especially if it, if it gets like that there's, there's something there's something like that it's not a question you know it's like the person who told his wife when she called him and said you have to be careful there's a car driving the wrong way on the, on the bridge that you're on so no not one car everyone's driving the wrong way right there's nothing wrong with you if you think everybody's crazy I'm, telling, I'm saying it clear and maybe somebody who hears this will say you know what maybe he's right but when you tell someone in the face they can't understand that so that's one of the um, um, privileges one of the benefits of saying a, a sheer in public now, it is encouraging to I'll tell you the truth, I got feedback recently on a share of mine. Somebody left me a nice message and said, you know, after listening to you for a while, I started acknowledging all my part in, in, in certain um, challenging relationships I'm in. And I started realizing that maybe I'm not always right, maybe I'm doing things wrong. And that's, like I said, that's the benefit of saying a share where nobody feels attacked. And they could think about the idea and say, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not exactly the way I thought. So that's something that I, um, that I, that I you know, it's definitely an opportunity. Um, let, let me say another thing just to mention it. 
and in my, I'm thinking about about this question. I'm thinking about a lot of. I, 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 may, I may have mentioned this recently a few times, and I see it more and more. And that's just an idea that I share with people. I had this recently when somebody was looking for a shidduch, and it was a zivik shiny shidduch. Right? Somebody wanted to get married again, and they're asking about information about somebody who was recently divorced. Why was that person divorced? Oh, she was divorced because her husband had a nervous breakdown. Now, most people who hear that uh, feel very good and say, "Oh, her husband had a nervous breakdown. Oh, that's wonderful." Now, that's a, that's a legitimate reason to get divorced. Let's say, right? They understand that, and there must be some, there must be something wrong with the husband. So that basically says that this is a, a good shidduch, right? This woman is a good shidduch. It may not be so. It's very possible that her husband had a nervous breakdown and he's crazy. And it's very possible she's also. Now, I don't mean to imply that that's how it should be or could be or most often is at all. All I mean to say is that one person's craziness does not yet absolve the other person of anything. About As a matter of fact, sometimes a crazy wife can make a husband have a nervous breakdown for that matter. But all I mean to say is that when you're dealing with different sides of a story, pointing out how, how stuck someone is, I was just talking about this to someone a few nights ago, that situation which was actually similar to what this question is talking about, with uh, parents and, and, and married children and everything, the fact that one person is very obnoxious and very self-centered and very everything else doesn't mean that the other person be, the other people are necessarily being nice to her. It's just something to think about. I'm just mentioning it. So a lot of times we like look at some person, oh, this person's a problem. It must be that they are the problem in the situation. And that's not necessarily so. That's, that's just good to know. You know, it's, it's just an interesting point to, to know. So it doesn't mean that you should be more victim because someone else is a problem or not. It's just something to think about that there's always certain sides of the story. And most often, as right as you are and as crazy as the other person is, there could be things you're not doing right. It could be. It could be things, could be things you're doing very wrong. It could be things that you're doing a little wrong and contributing to the problem. Now, in terms of how to deal with such people, if it's a married sibling, for example, you could always be nice to them. We're not talking about living with such a person necessarily, but you could always be nice to someone while not being controlled by them. Very often this is the person who will call you for a thousand favors and be upset when you don't do all of them or whatever else. And you can still be nice to a person like that. And sometimes that's what you want to do. This person is going through enough challenges. The fact that this person is nuts in the head and making the family crazy doesn't mean that you don't want to be nice to that person. Remember that. You can be very nice and still be careful not to be controlled by somebody with such a kind of attitude. And that's the balance that you have to go along to have a relationship. And sometimes people throw it out because it's too hard to be nice to the person. She keeps me on the phone and she rants and she's upset at everyone else. Well, you can put a boundary and say, you know, I love talking to you and this is, it doesn't work for me to talk about this topic. Or talking past 10 o'clock or whatever it is. There's ways to go about it but you can still be nice to someone. And you, most of these people are very, very broken people. So if you see someone like that, remember, you're talking to a very broken person with all the arrogance and all the ego and all the victimhood, you're talking to a real tzabrach and nefesh. So when you keep that in mind, you know, you're not looking to teach them lessons and it might not work anyway, but you can still be nice to someone and still make sure that you, know, you don't have to obsess over someone's craziness. You could just be nice to them and you could detach and make sure that it doesn't hurt you. Now, you want to know what happens with families like that? That was basically the nutshell question. What happens with, with such families like you're all concerned? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happens. The more resilient children grow up and have uh, you know, a chance of, of using their own free will and understanding what went on, and then they can grow up to be normal people sometimes. And those that are more sensitive and, more, um, less, and less resilient will probably be strongly affected with, by such upbringing. It's, it's very sad, but that's how it is. It's not a question. Now, sometimes a thoughtful uncle or a nice aunt, as in this situation, or even a nice neighbor could really do a lot by, by, by reaching out and being nice to those children and helping them. Think about it. Now, you don't want to do it in a way where the parents are going to get upset. You're training my kids, you're taking them, they're sitting in your house and they like you more than me. You know, you have to be very careful. You're not looking to become a full-fledged therapist or savior or anything that could, that could um, especially when it's against parents' interest, especially when it could cause problems. But there's a lot you could do to help children growing up in such homes that they could be um, healthier and see a healthier way of life. And you could be there to give them some of what they can get um, at home. So I think that with that, I addressed um, some of that question. Okay, next question. 
I love your classes and just finished listening to your Q&A by Karaftuni about relationships. You elaborated on the fact that when somebody is not asking a question, there's no need to answer. And you can basically just say, okay, I hear. I found that to be a very disturbing piece of advice. From what I understand, when a woman complains, like the example you give, you gave, why did you bring me to this weekend? I didn't enjoy it at all. She probably needs a lot of empathy and not just an okay. In general, women have an interesting way of asking for things and will often say something like, I need a new dress. The neighbor commented that my dress doesn't look good. And that's really her way of saying, can I please have a new dress? If that's the case, then when she asks for something in her own way, doesn't she deserve an answer? Do you really think she could be happy when she gets an okay? I'm very curious about what we have to say about this. Thank you again. My answer to that is, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that was a joke. I, I, yeah, I understand the question. The question is that if somebody's venting and somebody's asking something, all you're going to be left with is a okay. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted someone to understand them. All they wanted was, well, maybe you should have picked up on what they really meant to say and, and, and interpreted correctly if they're asking a question. And that's a very good question. It's a very good question. Now, the short answer is that I didn't in any way mean that the okay should be a lack of empathy. So I'm happy to, to clarify that. In other words, the okay was just the response to the sentence of... Okay, okay. Now, you could keep on listening to more rant, and it didn't mean that you were trying to shut them up, or say, I don't want to hear what you have to say. It just meant that you're not getting pulled into a conversation, or being intimidated or manipulated to say something you didn't want to say. And very often there's nothing to say. There's very often there's nothing to say. So you just say an okay, that's showing that you're listening. But you could let them go on. So that's if somebody needs to be heard. And you can say, I understand you now. Um, I, I do understand, however, that what I said sounded a little novel and a little interesting, and that's why I said it. I mean, this piece of advice that I was giving, I know is not the typical way people address these things. And the reason why I was saying it, because very often people fall into the trap of this codependency thing where, uh-oh, my wife is unhappy. And same thing with her husband, by the way. Same thing with her husband. Um, she's not happy. I better say something. I better, I better say, you know, she's asked me a question. She's upset about something. I better start answering. I better start clarifying. You don't have to. You don't have to. But she's unhappy. Okay. Now, she's unhappy. What can you do? You may not be able to make her happy. It's not your responsibility to make someone happy. And if somebody is unhappy, I'm not talking about chronically unhappy and always unhappy, but if somebody is unhappy about something and angry angry about something, it's not your responsibility to make them happy. And you may not be able to make them happy. And you may just be getting pulled into something you don't want to. And sometimes the best thing you could say is, okay, I hear you. Now, the fact that a woman, with this questioner claims that many women, eh, many maybe, but not most, uh, many women have a way, an interesting way of asking questions, saying, oh, this dress is so old already, the fact that that's their way of saying something doesn't mean that it's okay. If, you, if every time your wife complains about a dress, you say, here's $100 to buy a new one, right? As if you could buy dresses for $100, I know you can't. Uh, but that's your way of, then why should she ever ask like a mensch? Why should she ever ask like a mensch? What type of thing is that? Why shouldn't a woman learn how to ask nicely? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to scream at her or ignore her. You can say, oh, that dress, yeah, I see. I see what you mean. She's allowed to ask like a mensch. And sometimes you can even ask, do you mean to say that you'd like an address? I don't have to ask. That, that's a terrible attitude. That's a terrible, if somebody talks like that, then there's no reason for you to start pulling money out of your pocket. I, I think, I think it, I, I, again, you're not screaming at the person, you're not arguing with them, but I think it's okay if somebody learns that when you want something from a husband, you have to, ask, have to ask like a mensch. And if many women have this problem, then this is something that, you know, some awareness is necessary. There's a way to talk like a mensch to a husband. He doesn't have to buy you new dresses every time you say that the neighbor says something about your dress. So that's, that's something there. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. In general, people who talk like this, um, might, might be, okay, let's, let's talk a little uh, vague. Okay, people who talk like this might be hard to please. And somebody who's hard to please, after you took them for $1,400 to a nice weekend, wanting to be nice to them, and all they could say is, I don't know why you brought me here, there's probably nothing you could say that's going to make them happy. And the best thing you could probably do is say, okay, I understand. Now, that's not what they wanted here. I know that's not what they wanted here. But I'll tell you a secret, there's nothing they really wanted here. 
Anything you'll say, you say, but you told me you wanted to go. I didn't say I want to go here. You're just getting yourself deeper in a problem. As opposed to if you say, okay, I hear you, and you let it run, you, you, you'll be avoiding a lot of negativity. So I understand that this lady or the person on the side might think, whoa, that's so obnoxious of him. He's not giving her the attention or the empathy she needs. He might just be a little more educated than that. And you may have heard a speech of mine and realize that, you know what, this is not going anywhere. And I know that. And most spouses know that in advance. I know this is not going anywhere. They just don't know what to do. And that's for those people I'm telling, say, okay, you heard. There was no question. There's nothing to answer. I don't know why he took me here. Okay, I understand. That's fine. Now, I'm telling you, by eating into that negativity, it probably won't get you anywhere. And you're not responsible to calm someone down every time they have an attack, and especially when it's challenging toward you, and it's, 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 it's antagonistic and all that. So, uh, yeah, I, I do um, stand by what I said, and I just try clarifying why or what situations I meant that. Okay. Obviously, if somebody's just complaining about something, and something's bothering them, and you want to give them a little more empathy, and there's nothing um, negative or challenging or attacking about it, that, that's fine. Other but that's of course how it should be. And like I said, you, you can still be empathetic about everything this person's saying. It's, I don't see it as a contradiction. Okay, you're not being apathetic or looking the other way, saying, I don't care what you want, or saying anything nasty. Okay, next. Your essay on gifts from Pastor Vayishlach. Okay, Pastor Vayishlach sent out an essay um, about gifts. It was amazing. You hit it on the button, you hit it on the button. Every time I read your parasha, I find myself in there, and every word you say is so true. Okay, thank you. About the presents, I'm Kanana Hora, married for 26 years already. I've mentioned to my husband so many times about it. So basically, what it sounds like, I'm just clarifying. A lady read an essay about how the importance of giving gifts, and she says, yeah, that's wonderful. I love that essay. I should be getting gifts. Okay? Now, sorry if I made it sound a little cynical, but, I mean, this, a lot of times we relate to essays that uh, promote our interests. Okay, and, and it's fine. The essay remains true. It's not the... Uh, okay. I told my husband so many times about it and told him I feel so stupid telling him. But he still doesn't get it. I gave him so many things, he still doesn't want to get it. I went for help. He went a few times and stopped. He has no patience. While going for help, he bought me an ice cream and told me, I got you an ice cream. It's in the freezer. And then after the next time going to him, he brought me another ice cream. That was Moichel Toivus. But obviously I told him thank you very much. But as soon as he stopped going to the person, everything else stopped as well. I, at this point, am trying to tell myself I'm stuck with this Nassoyan called my husband's personality forever, and that's it. It goes over into every other part of our marriage. Your message hit almost every single part of my marriage. Maybe if I get my husband to read it, it will work like going for help. Okay. So, uh, what, as I say always, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty consistent when it comes to these kind of things. Please stop waiting for your husband to get it. I think you waited 26 years, that's long enough. That's already the Gematria of Shemavaya. That's like the biggest madregi you could have done, being patient for 26 years. At that point... You could either get totally frustrated and burnt out, or accept. Okay? And very often this is a problem we have, it comes to accepting. I want my husband to get it, I want my wife to get it. And I can imagine that both this questioner, as well as every other person on the planet, has things that they would wish their spouse can get. I wish he would get, I wish she would get. It, not everyone gets everything. Now, you tried explaining it, you tried going for help, you tried complaining about it, you cried about it, you, I don't want to say you blused about it, or did anything negative about it, or you screamed about it, or yelled about it, but you probably tried everything to help make someone get it. To assume that they'll read an essay and get it, that's not even practical. Okay, because I don't think it's going to be that much different than everything else, and, and everything else the therapist said, and everyone else, okay. So we can stop waiting for people to get it, and get it basically means I want them to get it on his own, and let it just happen. Okay, now, you could, however, if it's important enough for you, and you want gifts, and even though they won't be as meaningful as if he would have gotten it, but you could still, without debating and without logic, be clear and say, you bought me the ice cream, it was so nice, I would love if you'd buy me a piece of jewelry. Now, obviously you have to be realistic and make sure that it's the right time and place and, and, and affordable. That would mean so much to me. Now, will it really mean so much to you that you have to ask for it and then get it? No, it won't. It's not, it's not as much. 
but it will still mean something to you, if it's important enough for you, and you'll be less resentful, then say it. And if you can't express yourself, and the person is not getting it on his own, then, you, you could, then your other choice is to either accept or get very angry. So that's definitely something that you want to uh, understand. Uh, obviously, it's better when somebody understands it on their own, but don't get stuck on that. Don't get stuck on that. Now, you, you, you mentioned that this is disturbing all the other parts of your relationship, and that's, that's where you're getting into a problem, because if you're letting this disturb everything else, forget about the black and white perspective of the relationship in general, but you know, this is causing you a lot of problems. Deal with this quickly. Quickly, because uh, look what it's doing to you. So that's definitely something that's not... Um, now people get stuck on, but I want him to know it. I want him to want it. I want it to, it's not enough that he takes me on vacation. I want him to want to go on vacation with me. It's not enough that he, he lets me do this. I want him to be happy that I'm doing it. We want people to think and feel a certain way, and we're not always able to do that. We can't always think and feel the way our spouse wants us to, so how can we expect them to? People are different. Somebody told me something interesting when he was a chusen, recently, um, not recently, when he was a, recently I heard it, when he was a chusen, he was talking to Reb Kalman Kron from Lakewood, and he gave him a few pieces of advice. Very, very fascinating, um, interesting, short piece of advice that really helped him along the way. And one of them was, you should never think that you married the wrong person. And he said, I'm telling you, after a few months of marriage, it's very likely you're going to think, I married the wrong person. Don't think that way. Remember, that's the wrong thought, it's the wrong mindset, it's not going to get you anywhere. When you think like that, you'll get stuck. So saying that I'm stuck with a problem called my husband's personality, which it might have something to do, okay, I'm not saying it's mamish, but it might have something to do with why I married this guy, that's, that's a mindset you're getting stuck on, and it's causing you a lot of problems, and it's affecting your marriage. So as much as you'd want them to get something, and this goes for everyone, in, in all their areas where they want people to get things, you could try, you could say nicely, you could talk about it, you go for help, but at some point, you want to accept this person is not getting it, he, sees diff- he thinks differently about it, you know, that's fine. I want to tell you something, the fact that you read my essay, and you may have noticed that Rabbi Grun also thinks like me, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they say, you see I'm right? That wasn't the point of the essay. The point of the essay wasn't to say, you see I'm right. The point of the essay was that you should understand the importance of buying something for your husband. Or... The, or at least understanding why it's so important to you and then knowing how to ask your husband to buy you something. But to feel good about something you heard in a speech or read somewhere and say, so now I'm even more right and I have even more right to be frustrated, that's very wrong. And then to go and hope that somebody else will read it and they'll get the message that you got, that's also wrong. I talk about this all the time. It's all about what you could do. So one of the things you could do is you could be assertive if it's important enough for you and you could um, do the right thing yourself. Now, one more thing. You mentioned that you got the ice cream and you said thank you very much, but Michael Toivis, I know, I know you didn't say the Michael Toivis part. But the attitude of Michael Toivis is wrong. And something we mentioned many times, when somebody does something in the right direction, jump at it. Make them feel good about it. Say, thank you so much. You bought me an ice cream. I love when you buy me things. It made me feel so good. And a day later, say, you know, I'm still feeling good about the fact that you bought me something. That might bring your husband to buy you more ice cream. It might bring him to buy you um, something more than the ice cream. It might just make him feel good about buying you something that when, you, when he knows that you want something else, he might buy it for you. And it might be just a stepping stone that when you say, I want something else, He'll realize, you know, maybe if I buy that for I'll also get the good feedback. And maybe that's what will do it to him. But don't, don't say the Michael Toivis. And don't get into this, oh, oh, that's not what I want. Please, ice cream, ice cream, I can buy myself. I want a gift. I want you to think about me. I want you ice cream you'll buy for, for, you know, for, for our Ingela and things like that. So that's definitely something that might have been a missed opportunity. And there's always more opportunities. So when somebody does something for you, even the smallest thing, make a big deal about it. Say why it means so much to you. And if you want even more than that, spell out what you want without, without, getting the, without debating or, or proving or, or getting frustrated. Okay, so that makes sense? Very good. Okay, uh, next question. The next question is a rather long one, um, but I, I, I chose to read it. Okay, I chose to read it. Um, both to give the attention to the person who's saying it and both because there's a lot of good points in there and both because uh, that's what I try to do. Okay, hi, Rebbe Grun. I hope you are well. I listen to you show to anytime religiously and I always appreciate your insight and wisdom, both Bagashmi and I try to implement it into my marriage and mothering. 
Okay, I, I, I'm going to read it a little fast. So I hope uh, you can follow me on Torah anytime. You could m- put the speed on the video a little lower, and I hope that's going to be fine. Um, somebody told me that they listen to most speeches on double speed because they don't have patience, but mine, they can't get that fast. Okay, it's fine. I, I talk a little fast, I know. Okay, I hope it's not a chutzpah for me to write this email. I'm wondering if perhaps there was a stronger point that was overlooked in the question of the mother who was upset that her husband was giving junk food to the kids and not changing their diapers for a long while. Firstly, I want to say that while it's true that no one died of an extra rug here or there, which is something that I mentioned, um, it's super important to teach kids healthy eating patterns at an early age. Yes, Nash is great, I'm a big fan of it, but if one knows that heart disease, obesity, diabetes, or the likes runs in the family, it's vital to get the kids on the right track early on. If the father gives a rug per day, it's fine, but now it's becoming two and then the kids aren't eating breakfast, aren't putting nutrition into their bodies, and before, before a long day of spending energy, physically and emotionally, at school, and that's no good. Which leads, which leads me to the next thing, and I think the mother might be saying, that I think the mother might be saying, I definitely feel this often. It's frustrating when the father doesn't put forth, put forth effort and just gives into things the kids, from the kids or takes an easy way out because as a mother, I have to pay for it later. I'll give an example from the mother in the letter. When the father doesn't change the diaper, yes, <coughs> excuse me, nobody ever died of a diaper rash, but the child often will get a rash and that's something the child suffers from and the mother has to deal with for the next few days. If she's lucky, only a few days. Sometimes she has to figure out if this specific rash will respond to desitin, triple paste, an aqua brand of desitin, or did it now become fungal and needs nystatin, which requires a prescription for the doctor. Now she has to call the doctor and have it prescribed. All the doctor wants the baby to come in for an appointment, and all this time the baby is crying from discomfort. The ragalach for breakfast is slowly becomes a way of life. Breakfast is such an important meal, filling the kid with koya for the day ahead, but instead this kid is filling his belly with essentially fluff, so of course he's not hungry for nutritious food. And nutrition doesn't always mean tasteless. The husband can make a smoothie with frozen food and Greek yogurt, which has a chock full of protein and still tasty. Add in some seeds or vitamin or vegetables and the kid never knows the difference. It tastes good and still is healthy. But I despair. Okay. But then I have to deal with the kid being cranky when he comes home from school because he's hungry, not having eaten properly in the morning. It's not easy for me. This might mean giving him a snack before supper, which now will decrease his appetite for supper, so he will eat later, thereby pushing off his bedtime. It might sound extreme, but nobody is an island and everything affects everyone Everything affects everything in our home. An example in my own home is that sometimes my husband still tells me to sleep another 20 minutes in the morning. And trust me, those 20 minutes are huge. I can actually have two separate dreams in that time, which means I hit snooze twice. That's how tired I am. So I truly appreciate extra time to sleep, and I tell him so. But instead of giving them cereal and milk, which has calcium and some protein in it, he makes grilled cheese and then rests on the couch while they eat. So this is what happens when I wake up. There's grilled cheese on the living room floor, but it's not really grilled cheese anymore. It's minimally eaten bread with the cheese picked off of it. That means I didn't eat, which means now I'm 20 minutes behind my morning schedule, and mornings aren't easy for me because I'm working on myself. But I'm, but I'm working on myself. And I still have to feed the kids breakfast, which we have to toddlers, so they need either to be fed or constant reminders to take a bite. So if he just makes a sandwich and goes to rest, it's taking the easy way out for himself and making things harder for me. So it's not even so much of the nutrition part as much as I feel like he's not respecting my efforts. Another example I've mentioned... I've mentioned that I would like for him to use parchment paper when using the sandwich maker because otherwise it leaves a crumbly, sticky mess. I have to pre-cut parchment paper. I even pre-cut parchment paper right there inside the sandwich maker, but it's more cumbersome to use the paper, so he doesn't. It's just less of a hassle for him. But a much bigger hassle for me because I have to clean it. Is my shalom bias worth more than that? Yes, of course. So I don't mention it. I'm a huge fan of the surrendered wife, Mahalich, and I follow it deliberately. But is it frustrating because it makes my work harder? Also, yes. It's one more thing for me to do. I don't think men always understand how much koyach and patience we expend on our children alone, let alone keeping the house running, making suppers, doing laundry, dishes, etc. And how utterly exhausted we are. I myself got married at 33. I consider myself the luckiest person in the world to be married to a prince and to have two lechtika children. I thank Hashem and my husband for every day, earnestly, not for fake. But the fact is that I'm chasing and organizing and cleaning up after two toddlers at the age of... Um, which is way different and much more tiring than 
the age that most girls are doing this in the mid-twenties. So I feel like I'm putting so much effort into this. Why doesn't he da da da? I feel slighted when my husband gives the kids naps because he just doesn't want to deal with their yelling or other ways that he takes the easy way out for things that will really make it more difficult for me. So that's my long response to the share this week. And I'm wondering what Regrun's input would be if this is in essence what the mother in the, le- in the letter was really saying. Thank you for your reading. Okay. Got it? There you go. That was a very long explanation of what the previous questioner meant. Now, thanks for clarifying. I'll tell you the truth. I, I appreciate the clarification. I think this questioner, this writer, did a great job in clarifying what that mother meant. And for all those who felt that for whatever reason I didn't get the point because I didn't express it the right way, I mean, I usually just read the letters off the, off the paper, but um, for all those who either didn't get it or think that I didn't get it, I'm happy that uh, this was well brought out. And I agree with every point that was mentioned in this letter. And maybe it's important for men to hear this. Okay, maybe if I would be a woman, I, would, I wouldn't say what I have said in that year. And maybe not be as um, dismissive of, well, whatever, if I sounded dismissive at all. I didn't mean to sound dismissive. But yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm the husband. And I hope, it, like I keep on mentioning when it comes to these questions, I hope my wife is not the one writing this. Um, I have reason to believe that. Maybe not. But yeah, I, I understand definitely that, um, that men might need more understanding of what it takes to be a Yiddish mama and how they can feel in such situations. So, I, I definitely did not mean, and, and I'm saying it again, I, def, I definitely did not mean to negate or, or be dismissive of the importance of, of you know, taking a wife and a mother very seriously. And yes, the diaper rash and the rugula and all those things that a, a, a man could do could very much um, cause a lot of hardship and difficulty for a woman. And I can stop right there. I can stop right there because I, I, don't, I don't retract in the fact that the rugula won't kill anyone, but yeah, it's important for men to hear that as much as it's not killing people, it causes a lot of agnosnefesh, to, to put it short. Now, it's clear that neglecting children's needs, even the, the not most important ones, right, is not good at all. It's not good at all. And for all the men who can take that more seriously, by all means, at the same time, if a woman understands that, and she could communicate it in a way that her husband could understand it, Okay? She's saying it nicely. She's not saying it resentfully. She's not being frustrated or telling him how much, how much harder her life is being because of him. But she's telling him, I know it's not easy for you. And I'll still be so appreciative if you do this. And she could even say, you know, I, I won't be able to take the 20 minutes of sleep if you, could, if you can't do it in a certain way. Not, not in a nasty tone of, I don't need your sleep. You make it harder for me in my life. You say it nicely. And you could communicate all this nicely. This is something I believe every man should take seriously and every woman should not be afraid to communicate. Okay, and I said it out loud because maybe that will also help men understand it better. Not a question. Not a question. Now, if this doesn't work, for whatever reason, either because you're dealing with a, an incompetent husband, or, or someone who's very bad and doesn't want to take you seriously, okay? Or for whatever reason, you don't know how to say it nicely and it's not happening. And now you're left with the choice, as you mentioned in the middle of the letter, of, shall I let this ruin my relationship and become resentful and always have worst-case scenarios playing in my mind that the, the diaper that's not changed might cause a week of stress and therefore be very angry at my spouse even before it happens, or what if my child was one day developed diabetes because of a rug? Okay, I know I'm sounding a little sarcastic, but I mean to say that if you're not getting what you want, is it now important enough to let this affect your relationship? Or should you try to do your best to see all the good in your spouse and appreciate the cheesemaker and appreciate the rest and, and, and work with what happens, yeah. yeah. It's probably more important to be able to focus on your... On, and some people don't realize the price of a relationship. Somebody told me an interesting story from, from Ramon Orbach um, about uh, a mashpocha that uh, came from a family that were wearing shtramluch and the chusen was you know, doing his own thing and he got married to someone who didn't want him to wear shtramluch. And as time went on, he decided, you know what, he's going to become a balshiva and he's going to wear the shtramluch and he 
bought himself a Steinwald for $2,000, he came home with it, and he thought his wife would be so impressed. In the meantime, she was adamant that he came with us. I married you knowing you're not going to wear a Steinwald. And he said, what do you mean? My family wears it. I'm like, now nah, nah, I feel more comfortable with it. I want to wear it. And they went to Rishon Lama Nobach. Rishon Lama tells him, you know, if it's going to disturb your relationship, I don't think you should do it. He said, yeah, but Rebbe, I spent $2,000 on the Shtramu. You want me to throw away a Shtramu that I spent $2,000 on? And Rishon Lama said, I think your marriage is worth more than $2,000. And the guy said, no, but I, I can't throw away $2,000. And Rishon Lama said, you know what? I'll give you the $2,000. It was worth Rishon Lama to pay $2,000 to this single man to save his Shon bias. And Rishon Lama bought the Shtramu from him and he put it on. And that Shabbos, people, were, people told Rishon Lama, what happened? Rebbe, you have some funny Shtramu on yet. It's too big, too small. I don't know, I guess it didn't look so good. And Rishon Lama was happy that for $2,000 he was able to help someone else's Shon bias. Now, we could take from that story the greatness of Rishon Lama Abach. Or we could take from the story, the original message that he was trying to tell the single man was, I know you spent $2,000. And I know $2,000 wasn't easy for you to spend. And I know you probably worked three weeks to make it. And it's still worth it. Because your relationship is worth more than that. And even if you have to borrow it, and even if it's very, and all that, and even if you're, your relationship is worth more than that. And that was the point that I was trying to say in that shir, and not in any way um, devalidate the concerns that Yiddish Mama have. Now, you know, obviously, the frustration that you have and the negativity you have that comes out in your relationship is certain damage. It's happening right away. It's not, it's not maybe. And uh, obviously, when people act upon it. And the amount of damage that can have in your children is probably more probable than the amount that some sugar and diaper rashes can have in the child. Think about it. Okay? Now, I know I'm talking like a man, and maybe it's like a marriage counselor, but this, that's also something to think about. Now, another thing that I want people to um, think about, and that is that, you know, to all the women out there, I know that Halavai men would get it, and Halavai I would get it, and Halavai all the people that are, that are listening to me would get it. And, 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 you know, we definitely try to bring awareness of uh, these people are from Mars, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Venus, and, and, and it's important to understand each other and all that. At the end of the day, we still have to remember that men are from Mars, and women are from Venus, and they're going to stay there. What I mean to say is that as much as women would like the men to get the things that the, that the women want them to get, and the men want the women to get the things that the men want them to get, we have to remember that you're dealing with someone who might not get it to the level that you want them to. So that's a choice you have to make. If you want to let your husband watch the kids, you can talk to him nicely and hope that he's going to get it like you, but he might not. So you have to be realistic. So if you want your wife to the Mishnahis with your son, it may, she may not do as good a job as you. Even though, even though the, the tattle has the touch and she should be able to. Okay, she might not pick up on certain things, she might not know what she's talking about. And if you want your husband to be able to serve breakfast to your children as much as he's going to try, remember he might not be able to. So that's also a choice you have to make. At some point, you're going to have to rely on your husband and you're going to have to go to a chasna, he's going to babysit. And as much as you'll tell him what to do, you're, going to have to, you're going knowing that you're leaving your children with a man. Okay, so that's something to think about. And sometimes people just can't handle that part. They, they, they want to have the cake and they want to eat it too. I want to have my husband available to babysit and she babysit like a woman. I, you know, that's just another thing to think about. So that's, that's what I wanted to mention as well. Okay, hmm, another two questions. It's getting late. So let me see if we could um, get to that as well. Okay. Hi, Rabbi Gruen. I must first thank you for all that you do. Who knows how many couples you have helped and saved, whether directly or indirectly, through your teachings and advice. I can attest that you have helped me personally, and I appreciate it very much. Okay? Beautiful. You're welcome, and thank you. I wanted to ask you a question. If you could reply, whenever you get a chance, I would be so grateful. This is on something you spoke about recently, and I recapped it, I recapped it in one of your Torah thoughts for the home, PDFs. That's one of my assets that you shared on LinkedIn. You mentioned that holding secrets back from one's spouse in the, right, in the right context is not only okay, but preferred. You added that hiding something that shouldn't be hidden creates a distance between couples between a couple. Just by the fact that there's something hidden, it creates a certain distance, as you said. Can you elaborate on this a bit more? Is this a matter of subconscious? That, uh, that on a deeper level, there's a blockage and thus limiting the connection as a decree from Hashem, in a sense. 
I guess basically his question is like, is there a, is there an explanation to why hiding something could could cause a distance, or is this the way Hashem made it and we can't even know why? Or is it a matter of the mind that although one can hide something quite well and not be worried and what not worry of being caught by his spouse, perhaps he thinks about it a lot and it weighs on his mind and this creates a disconnect. Okay, so let's start like this. People definitely get black and white when it comes to these topics and a lot of topics. And I keep, I keep on mentioning, you shouldn't get black and white about anything, okay? There's almost nothing black and white. Uh, all the way, never, you know, always, terrible, great, awesome. You know, there's definitely a lot of things that need to be taken with, you know, with a grain of salt and understand when to apply. So, some people assume that you never allowed to hide anything from your spouse. Transparency, there's no individuality anymore, there's nothing private, there's nothing anything. After you're able to see everything going on in your life, you have to tell me everyone you called, everyone, everything you thought about, everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, everything you dreamt about. And you can't hide from me anything. Now that's, that's ridiculous. And as a matter of fact, the, the people that I know, that I know, that demand that of a spouse, very often are not ready to give that. Honestly, it's interesting. I mean, they, they believe that you shouldn't be hiding from anything, so I'm allowed to look through your phone and your texts and the emails, and everything's open, and I'm allowed to ask you a thousand questions about each person you communicated with that day and what you talk about and why did the conversation take so long, if that's what you spoke about. But then when you want to see my phone, I don't feel so comfortable. I mean, I've seen that many times. You know, I'm allowed to ask you a thousand questions, but when you ask me something, I get defensive, or, you know, well, what's your business? But, but even if not, even if somebody is ready to be transparent, and then they expect it from you, it's not practical, okay? Hashem made us in a way that we do have relationships, and we do get uh, bonded together, and that bonding is all-encompassing, in other words, it affects every part of our relationship, technically, but there's still two individuals involved. And very often when people are demanding that kind of transparency, it's just not possible. And I tell you, even people who claim that they could live like that, they are not ready to record every phone call they make and have their, their spouse listen to it at the end of the day. They're just not ready. Right? Everyone likes when the spouse knocks on the door before they walk in or at least tells them that they're here and doesn't stand behind them eavesdropping. It's, it's normal. As a matter of fact, Halal tells us we should always knock on the door before we walk in. It's something I grew up with. My father always knocked on the door before he walked into the house, even if nobody was home. You, you knock, you, you say you're here. For whatever reason. Now, what do you mean? There's transparency. What are you hiding? I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm just a person. I'm just a person. Imagine somebody would be telling you everything he's thinking. Uh, what kind of ridiculousness? You're, everyone's entitled to a certain amount of privacy. Now, at the same time, let's go the other way. Some people think, okay, so I don't have to tell you anything. It's my life. I mean, of course, what I'm eating, but what I'm eating, but a Shabbos, either you can look at what I'm eating, I'm not hiding it. No. What happens is when people live in hiding, right, they have that double life, and there's things they're hiding, and there's things they don't want their spouse to know about, and they're involved in things, and it causes them to keep on making up excuses, whether it's where they're going, or they're talking to, or what they're doing, and, and just piles up more and more, and one lie brings the next lie, and even when they're not lying about it, it's just something about a certain fear about being caught and being exposed, and that's not good, and that causes a distance, and I've seen that many times. You know, there's something about having too much to hide, and too much baggage, too much uh, that, that's not being open, and, and, and it, it's not good, it's not good, it definitely, it definitely disturbs connection. Definitely deserves connection. So, you know, being too private shuts connection and being too transparent generally challenges relationships too much. Interestingly, the one who asked me this question later came and told me, you know, I was the one that asked you that question and we discussed it and he told me that, you know, you're right, there was something that he was hiding for many years in his marriage and after hearing that or after reading about it, he realized that, you know, that is what's causing a certain amount of distance because he's, he always has this thing about when am I going to go to that place and do that thing that my wife won't know about and it was going on for so long already he decided to stop it. And it was some kind of undesirable behavior. And, uh, you know, he definitely did himself and his, and his relationship a favor by doing that. So, you know, I was very happy to hear that, that, you know, that, that this could have an effect like that. So, yeah, let's not get black and white. And there is such a thing that if you're hiding things that don't have to be hidden, or you're hiding things, and it doesn't mean you have to share everything that doesn't have to be hidden, but if you're hiding things, and you're living in secret, and, 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 and you're doing things that aren't good, and that's what you're hiding, 
So maybe, you know, it, maybe nobody should be knowing about it, but maybe it shouldn't be done either. So that's something to think about, that it definitely could have an effect on the closeness of a relationship. You know, when, there's, you know, when there's, there's more intimidating feelings and there's more reserved feelings and there's all that blockage that really doesn't let you connect with someone on an open, on an open level. You know, so that's something to think about. Okay. Let's try one more. Okay, I'm getting late, but one more question of feedback. Hi, Rebecca, I heard your amazing talk at Karaftuni on the topic of relationships. You mentioned something interesting about a parent asking a child which lecture to attend. If you don't mind my mentioning, okay, what I said there was that sometimes you have a parent and a child having problems, and, and I, I think I was quoting something that happened actually right before the lecture, right? I was talking, or the night before. I was talking to a couple who was having a big problem with a child, a very big problem with an older teenager, and I think you, know, you have to make connection, you have to show them how much how much, you know, I'll explain it in a minute, but how much, you know, you want to show connection and good feeling, maybe call them and ask them which lecture to attend. Tell them, this, you know, there's a few drushas here, this one speaking, that one. Ask him what he thinks, you, who, who's drush you should go to. So this person's writing, if you don't mind my mentioning, I think, it's a, I think that's a bit overdone. What does it tell a child if a parent has to follow his opinion when it comes to his own, when the parent's own progress or personal choices? Are we really trying to teach our children that they are on our level and that they, and that they can and that they can actually become our advisors? Okay, good question, right? Sometimes you give your child too much respect, and now he feels like, okay, you know, find your brother, we're good friends, right? Isn't that, a, isn't that the message? So, like I started saying, um, this advice was specifically given for somebody who had a child that was struggling. And the relationship between the parent and the child was very, very difficult, to a point where there's very little communication, and very little respect, and, 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 and all the other things that come out of such situations, which we should never know from. So, Sometimes people get stuck on the principle of things and say, what do you mean? I'm not going to lower myself to my child. You know, you, yeah, forget about all the, all the resentment and all the shwehats that I have on him. But wait, I'm going to lower myself to my child? That's not how it works. I understand he, he has a problem. Let him go to someone for help. People get stuck sometimes on the shit of things, on the principle of things. And the same thing with marriage. I have to ask my wife, I have to ask my husband, blah, blah, blah. And they don't realize what's happening. You've got to deal with what's happening. Unfortunately, you have a child that's struggling. Unfortunately, your relationship with your child is very, very, very tense. Unfortunately, that challenge that he's feeling in the relationship between you and him is causing him to do a lot of other undesirable stuff and causing a lot of heartache. One of the ways you could change that sometimes is by taking someone's advice seriously. Now, it doesn't mean that he's in control of you. It doesn't mean that if he's calling you and saying, Tati, you better go to that drusha, and now you have to and you're afraid of him. It means you're showing him respect. And one of the ways to show someone respect, and you do this with your spouse, and you do this with adults, and even with children, is asking their opinion. Now, with a little kid that you ask opinion which flavor ice cream to buy, he already feels good. And I don't think anyone would consider that you know, a problem of becoming your advisor. But as children grow older, or as they need it more, or as situations really call for something more drastic, you may want to really show someone a lot of respect by asking them something that they're surprised that you're even taking their opinion about. Something that they know, they know that they're not your advisors, they're not making a mistake. But they feel good. Wow, you really care what I feel? In other words, something you could be doing on your own out there in Connecticut and you're calling me in Flatbush or Queens or in Williamsburg or wherever it is and you're asking what I feel? Well, that's definitely something that could uh, you know, do that. And, and like I said, sometimes people get stuck on the principle of things. They don't want to realize what they're dealing with. Recently I had this with, a, with the parents who had a child that unfortunately wasn't going to yeshiva for a while. And the kid was not going to yeshiva. Okay, period. There's already a few months out of yeshiva and when a kid's not in yeshiva for a few months, a bukhar, uh, it's very problematic for those of you who don't know. And these parents knew that it was problematic, and the Bukhar said he wants to go to a different yeshiva. And the parents were adamant about not letting him go to the yeshiva he wanted to go. Now, I can't go into detail, obviously, and talk about exactly what it was, but it wasn't... It, it, let me put it this way. Going to that yeshiva wasn't worse than staying home. Let me put it that way. You know, obviously there are places that are worse. It's worse to go to the theater maybe than staying home. Not maybe, probably, you know, yeah. But, but, and there might be some yeshivas that are also worse than, than, going, than staying home, sometimes. But, but in this case... 
what I felt, and I think the parents agreed with it technically. It wasn't worse to go to that yeshiva than staying home. It was just something they couldn't get themselves into. I'm going to let them go to that yeshiva? You know what they do in that yeshiva? That yeshiva, they do things we don't do in our house. Is your son doing everything you do in your house? No, but I, I'm going to let him go. And that's where people get stuck. You're dealing with a very difficult situation. Sometimes you have to violate your own principles. Now, obviously, all with the right understanding and the right approach, with the thought through and the right advice and the right guidance. But sometimes you have to be mavatar on your own principles, your own shittas, and your own dias, and your own hanukas, and everything that's important to you, simply because that's what the situation calls for. And simply because by not doing that, you're making things even worse. Okay? So, giving, being too careful about not letting your child feel like he's your advisor... If in the meantime, he's unfortunately being advised by other people and other things, that's what, that's what this situation calls for. Now, obviously, on a, I don't mean that it's only, that piece of advice is only for such drastic situations. I mean, that example was about a pretty drastic situation, and, and on less drastic situations, it's all relative. You could always ask someone for their advice about something, you could always make them feel good about it, and as much as needed, that's how you want to apply this. But that's definitely an exceptionally good way of making someone feel important, and all that. Now, you're not committing to what someone told you to do, and you're not telling them in advance, I'll do whatever you say. You're just making them feel good. And that's, that's, you know, very important. And I'll tell you something interesting, by the way. Very often, parents have this thing about not asking advice from kids, or not letting them feel like they have a diet. And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Sometimes your kids know more about something than you do, or, more, or your bukhar, or anyone. I'm just mentioning it. So, so it's, not, it's not even always as, as much as, you know, you're my advisor, or you're my, you're my mentor, as much as, you know, I'm allowed to ask you. You're a bukhar out there, you hear what's going on, you hear people talking about different balad darshunam. Oh, what do you have to say about it? And now he feels good. He's able to share his, his, his intelligence with you. So often, if we would only let kids share their knowledge or feel good about what they know and show them that, wow, you know something, that's okay. Well, why do we always have to give our kids the attitude that we're smarter than them? But we are smarter than them. And they know we're smarter than them. But let them be smarter where they are smarter and feel good about it without showing that you're so intimidated by letting them know something you don't know. It's okay. It's okay to let someone know that he knows something that you may not have known. So including a child in a certain discussion or topic, as long as it's done with their cheritz, might anyway be a good thing to do. It might be showing your kid, you know, I believe in you, I, I, I see you're intelligent, I know you have a lot of good ideas, and I'm willing to hear them, and I don't see anyone with that. So I myself, and I hope that with that I covered uh, quite a little feedback, and I always invite more feedback and more questions. So I myself, we should be able to understanding of each other. We should be able to uh, make progress, right? How we start off, make progress in the right direction, and notice where each other are making progress and promote the good things and be able to live together with the Hava Shalom